Brian Williams is a practicing pulmonary and critical care physician and the first Chief Wellbeing Officer at M Health Fairview. As the well-being advocate for one of the largest employers in the state, he collaborates to bring well-being practices to multiple hospital systems and inform statewide policy. His personal well-being practices include fishing, yard work, and frequent trips to home improvement stores to keep his aging home in one piece. So Brian, thank you for being here with me today on the Rebel and Be Well podcast. I know you're an incredibly busy human and professional, and I greatly appreciate your time here today and for sharing your wealth of wisdom that you've um, come here with today with our audience. So, My pleasure. Thank you. So I want to start by picking your brain a little bit on the concept around well-being, because as you know better than anybody, this has become a really hot topic in the workplace today. Employees are looking for new and innovative ways to improve their health and well-being. Mm -hmm. Now, someone might look at healthcare and say, I would assume health and healthcare is probably easier um, because most people inside are invested in health. So it could be easier to lead mm -hmm. health and well-being inside the healthcare walls than other companies or corporations. Can I ask how you would respond to that? Is that true or untrue? Mm. You know, if you're looking for a model of a healthy individual, you know, we we often say do as I say, not as I do. Uh, health practitioners, as much as we'd like to think we are, aren't always the healthiest of people. Uh, we don't often practice the medicine we preach, and we often let, um, you know, the stress of the job and sort of uh, the the mentality of taking care of patients. Mm -hmm. uh, it will often overcome our need to take care of ourselves in many ways, and so. Uh, Healthcare workers, physicians, nurses, pharmacists, the like, are sacrificial types of individuals that will go above and beyond any given day to help people with their own health. And that's long been known. Um, and it is come to a head uh, with, with the COVID pandemic. And it is now gaining the attention of healthcare systems across the country because as we realized, um, the well-being of your workforce matters. Mm -hmm. It matters for productivity. It matters for patient safety and quality. It matters for job retention. Uh, there are so many implications that go beyond just having a good day at work mm -hmm. uh, that companies across the world, not just in healthcare, are paying attention to well-being as a core job function. Mm -hmm. And how you define that is all over the map. Mm -hmm. I think healthcare, to transition into a, a notion of the difference between wellness and well-being, I, I think it's important to make that distinction. Wellness is a lack of disease. It is healthiness in a physical and mental state. Well-being is a little different. We think of well-being as feeling content with your station in life, and 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 in the workforce, we we we. we Relate it to a joy in work, feeling like you have a purpose and you like coming to work every day and more days are good than bad. Mm -hmm. There's a lot that goes into that. It's not mm -hmm. simply that you get your paycheck. Um, in fact, the thing that people relate to most is that community at their workplace. Are they, do they like the people they work with? Are they having fun? Do they, are they fulfilling a, a, a purpose? 
and um, how do you make that happen? It doesn't happen overnight, and you, and you can't just um, write a prescription for it. Mm -hmm. And that prescriptive notion of how to be well, we often mistakenly said, well, if you're healthy and we offer you you know, healthy meal options and mm -hmm. and how to de-stress yourself, that that actually failed for healthcare. We, we, we focused a lot of effort initially on the wellness of our practitioners and providers, but it didn't help their well-being. Mm, and it only made things worse. Because what we were implying by that very sentiment was that you're the problem. You're, mm -hmm. you're not healthy enough to do this job, and that's not the case. You're not mm -hmm. resilient enough to do this job, and that's not the case at all. Mm -hmm. um, we like to think in healthcare that we're very resilient peoples, you know, um, almost all of them endured, you know, education sometimes for decades to get to the spot that they're in. Mm -hmm. They're very resilient peoples, and to imply that they're not is insulting. That's an incredibly profound answer, and I love that distinction between well-being and wellness. <clears throat> and you said a couple of words in your response that brought up this kind of trigger of emotions that I see happening in healthcare professionals and non-healthcare professionals around these words, resilience mm -hmm. and burnout. Mm -hmm. So I would imagine in 2019, those words might have meant one thing. Mm -hmm. Today, they seem to mean something else. Mm -hmm. What do those bring up in in healthcare and our workforce in general today, we, you know we've been measuring burnout and well-being for a while pre-pandemic, and and the literature was growing even before the pandemic. We knew that we were in trouble in healthcare. Burnout was seen as a failure of a system or a leadership, and and people were it was it was it was like a, a negative outcome from bad choices. Through the pandemic, when we realized a lot of this was out of our control, people became a little more accepting of the fact that burnout is a result of sometimes systems that are, you know, global pandemics. Mm -hmm. And for the first time, many people were saying, yes, we're burned out. Yeah. I do need help. Or the system is broken and mm -hmm. we demand results you know many chief well-being officer positions were created during the pandemic because organizations finally recognized that the the catastrophe that happens when your organization isn't well and, and the people that work there aren't well or a stress goes on for so long that without appropriate countermeasures um, you'll be able you'll start sacrificing the quality of, of what you do so I would say the pandemic really put a spotlight on it, but also helped people understand more broadly the number of different influences that go into that. It goes yeah. it goes way beyond just corporate policy or way beyond um, the resilience of your team. It, 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 there's so much more baked into that that um, it, it created a, a lot of attention to it. And, yeah. and I think that's good. I used to think taking care of patients was going to be my greatest um, high and my lowest of lows were going to be experienced in taking mm -hmm. care of patients. Mm -hmm. But what I actually found that pivoted um, the inception of the point retreats was that healthcare professionals actually are the ones who I really saw suffering the most. And this was pre-pandemic. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of this hidden disease that's festering mm -hmm. inside healthcare walls. Mm -hmm. um, and I think 
the opportunity that I hear you saying is if we can release that a little bit mm -hmm. and just say it's there and it exists and it's mm -hmm. really hard on um, the humans trying to make this go inside and the business leaders trying to drive it to succeed professionally, um, but really expose it honor it, recognize it, and then doing what we can. And coming from healthcare, what I sometimes see is it's like, oh great, we've got this chief well-being officer. Yeah. He's gonna come and save the day and fix it all. Right. And how do you like how do you create a reality around your role? Like what can Brian Williams, Dr. Brian Williams, really accomplish as chief well-being officer? Right. You know the 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 first mistake is to assume that you're in charge of burnout and that you can fix burnout. Um, I often make the relation of a somebody in my role and in long time in healthcare we've had chief quality officers and that person is in charge of ensuring that the quality of medical care is good and that it's safe and that outcomes are as expected and the government holds us to certain standards that infection rates in the hospital should be at this level or lower and so we've assigned somebody to help us keep track of that data mm -hmm. and help inform of best practices that person he or she is not putting in every catheter to make sure it's safe yeah. that, you know, that quality is everybody's job mm -hmm. and so when the metrics are not as good as they should be it's it's not doesn't, it's not the chief quality officer's fault. They're mm -hmm. the ones helping to measure. Well-being is the same way. And so you, you can't hire a person and expect <clears throat> the numbers to get better. Yeah. That person is there to help generate the numbers and, and help people understand what they mean mm -hmm. and help inform practices. The best solutions, however, always lay where the problem is and not necessarily at the corporate level. Um, you know, we, we can't expect your CEOs to know what's driving the well-being of somebody in a pharmacy uh, that person's not a pharmacist that person doesn't live in that community that person you know is not aware of like the workforce issues that are in that mm -hmm. spot mm -hmm. and so we we really need to to find ways to empower people at those levels to to recognize their challenges and put words to the things that they need and mm -hmm. and and we need organizations to understand why they should support that. Mm -hmm. um, I spend a, a lot of my time making the business case for supporting maneuvers. You know, sh should we let our employees go to part time, mm -hmm. or, or shave a little time off of their of their work docket? Uh, many of them are wanting to do that even for less pay. Right. Um, you lose productivity, but it's better than losing all of them, mm -hmm. which is what frequently happens. They'll mm -hmm. quit if they don't if we don't find some give and take there. And so there's a definite business case to be made for some of these types of interventions. Mm -hmm. And it's not just about, you know, offering more wellness points in your HR plan. It, mm -hmm. it goes, it goes to multiple levels. It goes to what are your recruitment and retention strategies? It includes things like, um, even workplace stressors, you know, mm -hmm. What is the noise level, the ambient noise level in your clinic? It, people are constantly stressed when you have those types of noises. Yeah. Um, flexibility and autonomy in picking your schedule. Those are all things that matter to people more than many other things. And, and having a voice and control and letting them focus on the things that they really really love, patient mm -hmm. care, direct interactions, um, we've got to find a way to, to let them do that.
So not necessarily being the one who it's like, hey, yes, I have all the answers, but helping yeah. lead people right. to answers that are right. impactful for them. Yeah. And particularly in large systems, it's my job to pay attention to bright spots and low spots. And like mm -hmm. this clinic is doing this. You could do that. Mm -hmm. It worked really well for them. Mm -hmm. You know, having that conduit kind of conduit of best practices or mm -hmm. or finding spots that are struggling and, and bringing attention to them so that they don't always have to. I, I think that that kind of cohesive glue and networking really has a, a role um, mm -hmm. because a lot of you know our organization has 35,000 people in it and there are many people that have figured out ways to be successful so why not find that and, and spread it around as best you can um, so we try that every day that's, that's sort of a part of my job yeah can you give an example of, I don't know if it's a team or a unit or a clinic or a hospital, but of what does success look like? Like when they found that success, right? can you paint a picture of that? You know, the highest functioning teams, um, and, and this has been borne out in the literature, but I've seen it in my own, my own practice. Those teams that are cohesive, they trust each other implicitly and they feel safe in that team. Um, Google studied this in a very large study. Um, they found that the most important factor was not how many college degrees or how much wisdom or how much diversity or how much, um, you know, uh, uh, technical skills a team has. The number one factor in that team's success was psychological safety. The, the, the ability to feel safe with coming up with ideas, not feeling like you're going to be shot down um the the and there's a lot that's baked into that there's power gradients there's there's um feeling like your leaders trust your voice and aren't threatened by it um and those teams that are really successful typically have leaders that get that and go out of their way to make people feel um safe mm -hmm. and 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 you, it's not always about necessarily being their best friend uh but there is a, a part of that human connection that has to be there mm -hmm. for people to feel safe and a good leaders is, is a big core of that and so i spend a lot of my time on leadership development mm -hmm. because i think it's one of the best uses of my time mm -hmm. what does leadership development look like well there's multiple different layers and it depends on the type of leader you have um you know you can get a degree and a master's degree to learn how to be a, a, a more effective leader or understand your business better. Uh, the type of leadership development that I've spent time working on focuses more on leaders understanding how human interaction happens and, and how to um, understand problems on a level that goes beyond just the technical fixes, but then the notion of adaptive problems and, and how people feel their way through issues and how they communicate with each other and, and how to make a case for a certain a new change. It, it's a lot different than what is typically taught in business school. Here's the business case and here's the financial reasonings to do all of this. We, we get into the, the strategies for um, you know, bringing the team along and how do you in, in, engender uh, enthusiasm and how do you keep their interest in mind you know the, one of the other big things we teach in leadership development in the well-being world is that this notion of the people cost of the decisions you make because mm -hmm. people are not an infinite 
resource. Mm -hmm. And what, what I mean by that is not just their labor output, but their emotional output. Mm -hmm. There's only so much stressful things you can ask somebody to do in a day. Mm -hmm. And when we are looking at implementing a change, if you ask yourself, well, who's impacted and, and how will this cost and the people side of things? If I'm going to create this much stress, I need to find a way to take it away somewhere mm -hmm. else because the, the people checkbook yeah. is not balanced. Mm -hmm. And, and that, that takes, you know, some practice and, and some mm -hmm. new way of thinking about the way you do business. But it, it, it is really important, and I think it's the crux of, of being an effective leader is, mm -hmm. is really understanding that. Your biggest resource, and I would argue mm -hmm. your biggest asset, mm -hmm. is your people. Absolutely. And you also are running a business mm -hmm. where um, the very core of what you said, psychological safety, is mm -hmm. almost insulted on a, I could argue, daily basis, but at least weekly basis. Mm -hmm. And so how do you maintain people being your greatest resource, especially in today's world? Um, and I know you answered a little bit on the leader side, mm -hmm. um, but for leaders who are newer, mm -hmm. like how do you drive that home um, that people are your greatest resource? The state of healthcare as it is post pandemic with a massive shortage in workforce is is the result of a continued stress on an already frail system mm -hmm. a lot of people have quit their jobs have retired early have sought new careers these the jobs they quit many of them are well-paying jobs um but they were just undoable for, mm -hmm. for many people that is proof in the pudding that focusing on well-being and making sure people are capable of doing the jobs that we ask them to do mm -hmm. is there. And so it, it, the answer isn't just to hire more and hope that they're tougher, mm -hmm. right? We have to learn from the things that are causing people to leave and we have to make modifications. And that is, that is the work of a leader to understand those types of challenges and do what they can to, to, to create the space so the job becomes doable again. I, I think in in healthcare, and, and probably this is true in other industries also, but we tend to assume the higher the degree of education, the better the leader. Like, mm. And that's shifting. I see a lot of, you know, MBAs and MHAs and whatnot coming through, but for the future of leadership, yeah. how relevant is education mm -hmm. how relevant is um leadership training and really coming down to the question of like do you think leaders are like are there natural born leaders or do we have to develop better leaders or both it's a little bit of both um you know we we talk about emotional intelligence in some of our leadership courses and this is a topic i love because there are people that are intuitively empaths mm -hmm. and they are people that can sense the emotional state of an individual pretty quickly but that can be taught you know there are there are cues that can be instructed and people can practice and they can get better at those yeah these are not things that are often taught in degrees but i think programs are starting to get there i've mm -hmm. been asked to help out with various masters programs where they're mm -hmm. looking they're starting to recognize that these are important mm -hmm. i think that um 
you know, degrees will help with certain technical skills, mm -hmm. but those those uh, adaptive skills come from experience. And there are some people that are more just intuitively, you know, it's a form of, you know, we it's not like an intelligence quotient, it's the emotional quotient. How quickly can you become in tune with somebody and get to the gist of how they're feeling? Mm -hmm. That carries a lot of weight in, in leadership and effectiveness, and we know we we look for disruptive leaders, and, and we you know, and how do you get that out of an interview, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It's a lot easier to find one internally than externally, right? Um, because we have informal leaders that we recognize, like this person, everybody will bend over backwards for this person. What are they doing? Mm -hmm. And it's usually because they they have the pulse and they have the support of people because they have found a way to make those connections and that is so critical for a high functioning team and for for leaders to have those types of connections mm -hmm. so you know i have this one moment um where i was talking with a healthcare colleague of mine um and she was painting this picture for me of how things were um, in regards to well-being, and she said, "I just want to—I'll just give you a descriptor of something I experienced." And it was she and a group of colleagues who had just lost a patient in the OR. They were standing in the hallway, and you know, in the full hazmat suits, right, um, the N95s, um, the full protective gear, and she's like, "We realized at that moment, and this was you know early on in 2020." She's like, "We couldn't hug each other. Yeah, like we couldn't hold each other. Yeah, we couldn't comfort each other." Mm -hmm through this emotional, psychological, physical trauma that they had just experienced, which I think everybody felt in some way, shape yeah. or form, right? Yeah. And and that's, all of us are kind of carrying around an, a degree of PTSD that we're all kind of working through, mm -hmm. arguably healthcare workers at a very high level because the insults were constantly mm -hmm. coming mm -hmm. in both professional and personal life. Mm -hmm. So knowing that there's, you know, probably generally speaking, some level of PTSD in the majority of people mm -hmm. in the healthcare workforce and the workforce in general. Mm -hmm. How do you prioritize? Like, where do you start it? You know, I used to think it was physical health. Now is it emotional? Is it mental? Is it financial? Is it spiritual? Like, where do you see the greatest need being right now? Mm -hmm. And, you know, because you're in healthcare, in healthcare. Yeah. One of the things that I've been really new to Leon lately is this notion of community resilience. How, how strong is your community? When something bad happens in the healthcare environment, nobody should, should be alone, mm -hmm. right? Everybody should feel supported. Um, you know, patients do die, but you should never be alone when that happens. And yeah, during COVID, it was very challenging to provide the same levels of comforts, but we were still there and we were all in the hazmat suits together mm -hmm. and that was a form of camaraderie that mm -hmm. mattered. Mm -hmm. um, we were in it together and we were carrying those burdens together and, and at the beginning it was, you know, it, it had a different feel than it did towards the end, right? Mm -hmm. At the beginning we were heroes and doing heroes work and that sort of protected us from the very real dangers that we were going through. Towards the end it became very frustrating um, and very um, disheartening because we knew what needed to do to keep people safe and many of them refused to do it mm -hmm. and then would also verbally and sometimes physically assault us for not 
you know, right. taking care of them the way they thought they needed to be taken care of. And so that created its own level of stressors. And the, the buffering in all of those cases was that work unit, you know, who was working on the floor that night and, and, and how do they respond to each other and take mm -hmm. care of themselves? Mm -hmm. um, nobody should have to endure those types of challenges alone. Um, and, and how do you make those communities stronger and more resilient? What kind of space do they exist in? What kind of people make them up? How do you connect um, and give them time to, to, to be a team? Mm -hmm. You know, it, chatting, you know, that water cooler chat about what you did this weekend, while it doesn't seem like you're productive at that moment, right. it's incredibly important for keeping that team coherent and functioning. Mm -hmm. And they'll do anything for each other if they know the names of each other's kids. And it's really hard to be mad at somebody when right. you know enough about their life as a human to relate to them. Mm -hmm. And so how do you that community connection and and all the things that COVID tried to do to degrade that. How do you how do you rebuild that with mm -hmm. where we are now? Mm -hmm. And I, um, that's I, I, something that I, I constantly think about, and it looks different for each type of work unit, and and even the digital teams that don't see each other physically. Uh, some of our leaders are finding social hours online where mm -hmm. there's no agenda. It's just a chance to connect and tell yeah. us about their time because they don't have that otherwise. Right, right. And so they're trying to find ways to do that and, and I applaud their efforts. Just kind of that time to download that yeah. talk therapy, that like shared experiences. Yeah. At least you feel like someone can relate to you. Just time to debrief even, yeah. you know? You, yeah. you, nobody wants to be the patient being taken care of by someone, by a provider or a nurse that just lost somebody, right? right? You know, we know that that person needs some downtime and, and mm -hmm. needs some support. Um, so I, I think it's important to recognize that and provide mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Can I ask you, so I experienced burnout when I was in the hospitals and in leadership, mm -hmm. um, which unexpectedly my life took a turn that got that removed me from it just enough to be able to look differently in the rear view yeah. mirror and be like, whoa, that's what that was. Yeah. I had no idea at the time, yeah. but now I see it for what it, what it was. Yeah. What, you know, just to normalize it for every human. Yeah. What did burnout look like for you? You know, that, that notion that what you do doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. Right. You know, I, everybody that took care of COVID for a while, probably dipped into this where it was another person and another person came in another person came in and and you thought you were making a difference until the next person came in and you maybe thought that you weren't mm -hmm. that sort of loss of purpose if you if you don't remember why you're doing what you're doing mm -hmm. it's time to take it to take it to take a step back and 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 get some new perspective because I, I think that loss of perspective if you, is the huge part of the reality of burnout. Because if you don't know why you're doing it anymore, then you may quit. Mm -hmm. Like, why am I doing this? Why don't I do something completely different? And it happens all the time. And I'm not necessarily saying it's a bad thing because right. some people do need a change. And some yeah. people do need a, a change of environment to, to restore themselves. And I think, you know, the consequences of going on when you're burned out and not trying to make a change mm -hmm. can be devastating. Mm -hmm. we, we, that is an all too unfortunate outcome in healthcare. 
is we do uh, see people die by suicide because they mm -hmm. are either not supported in recognizing where they are, they uh, uh, haven't been given the tools to speak up for their own mental health, mm -hmm. or feeling trapped, like they had no choice but to continue on. Yeah. Um, and there were many stories in the, across the country where that happened during the pandemic, and it was just tragic. So I think that when when you're not sure why you're coming to work every day and every day is a drain on your emotional toll and it's affecting your home life, um, it's time to, to take stock of what's going on and, and find ways to turn that, turn that tide around. Mm -hmm. um, you know, <laughs> the, it goes without saying that one of our best antidotes to this is to take a vacation. You mm -hmm. know, people have vacation time and they don't use it. Mm -hmm. And it used to be that corporations would be like, well, that's fine by us. You're just, you know, you're putting out, we need you working. Right. But even in the middle of our huge, like crisis of not having enough mm -hmm. workers, mm -hmm. we have never once said, don't take that vacation mm -hmm. because it's so important. Mm -hmm. And, and it, you've, we want them to take that time off in the military commanders and leaders are judged by what percent of their unit took their mm -hmm. required PTO hmm. and if they don't meet a hundred percent they're they get a talking to wow. you know because they know how important it is yeah. for those soldiers yeah. to de-stress yeah. why don't we do that in corporate America yeah. like you know I think we we watched the stories of how Facebook and Apple were created and those souls never took a minute off and right. worked 120 hours a week and right. they're heroes. We can't do that in healthcare anymore. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We have to, we, we can be better than that. We know the health consequences of it, like you said at the very beginning, and, and we should know better. If mm -hmm. we're going to tell our patients to, to do it, we should be doing it ourselves. We'll return to Rebel and Be Well in just a moment, but first a few words about our sponsors. I want to say a special thank you to everyone at Self-Esteem Brands. We are grateful for the recording space and support you have provided to our podcast platform and team. You can find more information about Self-Esteem Brands in the show notes. We appreciate and savor every sip of Dry Farm Wines during our podcast conversations and every event at The Point Retreats. To find out more about Dry Farm Wines, find their link in our show notes. Thank you Paddle North for being our preferred Minnesota-based brand and company. We honor every memorable paddle. To find out more information about Paddle North, find their link in our show notes. The Point Retreats and Rentals is situated roughly 30 minutes outside Brainerd, Minnesota. The property's private peninsula boasts over 1,500 feet of stunning shoreline spanning three lakes on the pristine whitefish chain of lakes. Whether you need time to renew, reset, or reconnect, we have a space that can host your family, group, or team. Click on the show notes to find out more about the Point Retreats and the Point Rentals. On those days, when your patients ask you how you're doing, because that actually has been ringing in my mind, mm -hmm. like as we're sitting here talking, mm -hmm. how do you find courage? How do you keep yourself well? Mm -hmm. um, when you're faced with all the things you're faced with as a critical care physician, which is kind of one hat you wear. Yeah. And then when you're the chief well-being officer, which is another hat. Yeah. And as much as those two connect, they're also like yeah, disconnected. Yeah. So how, how does Brian like stay centered, healthy, mm -hmm. well, mm -hmm. and have the courage to do that? Boundaries and limits. You know, I, 
so often, you know, when we know how much there is to be done, we never feel we can ask for time to take time to ourselves, yeah. right? There's always an extra shift to pick up. Mm -hmm. There's always patients that need to be seen that have to wait to be seen. But we don't have, you have to recognize we don't have an infinite capacity to do that. And yeah. while it, it feels bad that a patient may not get care the day they want it, they can be seen tomorrow. Most of them can be, yeah. you know, if, yeah. if you need today, tomorrow is not a big deal. And that's right. just a relative way of saying that, um, you can't be everything to everybody at all times. Yeah, and yeah. so I will often, you know, on the administrative side, there's only so much bad news I'll take in a day and I'll yeah. spread things out in a way so that I can process and, and I create gaps in my calendar to actually think through problems rather than yeah. just react all the time. Because mm -hmm. many of our jobs that sort of work in this dominion of culture, we need time to think creatively about how to do it. We're not just busy balancing checkbooks we're right. we're actually networking and, and and trying to come up with creative solutions and that takes time out of your day and if you don't give yourself the bandwidth to do it yeah you're not going to be very good at it and yeah. and so i will often say i had time to think about this yeah right i didn't have any meetings monday morning and i spent that time thinking about this problem and people are often like well how did you do that right like, yeah what does thinking look like for you right well yeah. it, you know, and you know where you are and when you're doing it. You've got to cr create the bandwidth, and and you know without going out on a limb and saying you know going for a walk down the street with your dog during <laughs> yeah. business hours. Yeah. You might think well you're not actually working, but if you're solving a problem when you're doing it because mm -hmm. you wouldn't have been able to do it in a meeting, it matters. It matters, right? Where's the best place you think? Like me is the car or right. in nature? Right, right. Like, do you have a thinking space? Yeah, on the lawnmower, right? I love that. You, you, yeah. you mowing your lawn in yeah. the summer, and whether it's a weekend or after work or whenever, um, you know, the monotony of making stripes with a lawnmower, and whether it's running on a treadmill like other people do, yeah. um, painting a wall. Yeah. I, I, it, it might not be a space everyone assumes right. that these ideas and think tanks are happening. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and our, the morning cup of coffee looking out you know, your back mm -hmm. window. I think that um, we often don't give ourselves credit for how much work we actually do during the day. We equate work with a physical, being in a meeting, talking to somebody to the yeah. point where people have filled their entire virtual schedule. We, this is an epidemic right now. People are working more virtually than they did when they had to commute to work because they don't understand what work is at home now and so they're mm -hmm. not even taking breaks between meetings to go to the bathroom and we 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 have we're trying to right size what a work day actually looks mm -hmm. like virtually because people are struggling with the this lines. notion that yeah. where are the lines between you know when i would normally be sitting in my cubicle yeah. doing nothing yeah. and thinking versus sitting at home doing nothing and thinking yeah, yeah. so i it's it's been interesting to to watch how that changes and yeah. so I, I kind of think that through is how effective I am and how productive I am and making sure I have time to do that yeah. clinically I love patient care and yeah. I love taking care of people and that's what fills my bucket and mm -hmm. but you have to remember that it's mm -hmm. it it doesn't just happen naturally and one of the things that I have have tried to teach other people to do is to is mindfulness. If, yeah. if you can remind yourself you 
are getting ready to do something you like, mm -hmm. you'll actually remember that and mm -hmm. like it. You know, if you're getting ready to walk into a patient exam room and say, remember, this is the thing that I like doing. Mm -hmm. This is what fills my bucket. Mm -hmm. And just taking that moment to pause, usually when it's you're foaming your hands to get them clean, it's, right. a, it's a moment to have that mindful moment. Um, kind of reconnecting to your purpose. Yeah, like, right. oh, this is why I went to medical school. Yeah, right. This is why I'm doing all this. Right, exactly. Yeah. And I am I probably can make this person's day better. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, you may not take the moment to even think of that at the end of every day if you do it 25 times a day. But right. um, if you if you can take that moment and realize, that made a difference today. I, mm -hmm. You know, and even in the outpatient world, I take care of patients with diseased lungs. Sometimes diagnosing a problem, getting ahead of it, will save their life. Mm -hmm. And it's a downstream thing. It's a lot different than doing CPR in the hospital. But nonetheless, it's, if, if you don't stop and recognize that, yeah. you, you won't let your bucket get filled. So what would you say to, and I'm not trying to say you're not 21, mm -hmm. but what would you say to the 21-year-old Brian mm -hmm. who's just in the middle of med school, big yeah. dreams, big visions? Like, What are three things you tell him as a critical care physician mm -hmm. who's going to be a leader someday in mm -hmm. healthcare? Things you didn't know then, right, but you know now. Right. Um, you know, when you're in education and you're kind of going through, you're wrapping your identity into your career. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people do it so much so that when their career doesn't work out, they've lost who they are. Yeah. You know, in healthcare in particular, even when you're in a grocery store, you're still a nurse. Yeah. Right? You're still yep. a doctor. If somebody mm -hmm. goes down, you're going to help them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or airplanes, which tend to be my trend. Right. I'm like, oh, crap. You're still going to, yeah. that's wrapped into your identity. And and you need to be careful of that. Yeah. Because there are other things about you besides your healthcare role. Yeah. And I, I get it when you devote that much education to being in a career, it is all consuming. Mm -hmm. It took the majority of your time to get there. But finding ways to create some balance and have other things that you're interested in mm -hmm. and identify with. It's so critical. Yeah. And so that would be one bit of advice is don't lose track of other things about you that you need to be yeah. a human. And did that, did you ever hear that when you were your younger 20 oh, no. self? Oh, no, okay. no, you're, you're, because you're surrounded by people that are just like you, right? You're going through yeah. school together. You're surrounded by other people that are in school as well. Mm -hmm. And, or your educators who mm -hmm. make a living off of, that yep. topic right yep. and so i had mentors that showed me you know a handful that showed me you know what other things they do mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know my phd advisor raced cars my you know they he liked to cook he, mm -hmm. he showed me that it was okay to do other things yeah. and be kind of you know have a, a different perspective outside of work and yeah and you know it's not a big gesture to do that with a trainee and and but it goes a long oh, way. Oh, that's a very impactful yeah. prescription for right. self-care, really, right. to say what did find you, hobbies that you well, love. What did you do to relax this weekend? Yeah. And they often are kind of shocked by that. <laughs> right. If you start by asking a med student that question, they're like, "Well, I studied." I'm like, "No, what did you do for fun?" Yeah. You don't have to impress me right now. Right. Um, those matter. Those yeah. types of things matter. It just feeds into this notion of perfectionism that I think is very prevalent in the healthcare field, maybe more so than other places. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, it, it drives a lot of anxiety and mental health issues mm -hmm. in our workforce. Mm -hmm. um, 
this this notion that I'm gonna have it all. Mm-hmm. And I can be it all. And I can be it all. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which is a dangerous uh, permission to give yourself yeah. that you can be it all because no one person really ever can. Right. Um, and interestingly enough, I know all the patient satisfaction surveys. Granted, I'm going to put this in context. Yeah. If I've just been in a car accident, I'm going to hope there's a really qualified group yeah. of trauma physicians waiting for me. Yeah. Um, if I need surgery, I want a really great surgeon. If my lungs are collapsing, I'm going to hope yeah. you're at my bedside. Yeah. But it's this notion that... Um, you know, you're still a human standing behind all of that, right? right? And how you present as a human to your patient is often, and their families equally, yeah. if sometimes not more important as the technical skills. Yeah. But you can't do that. You can't show up and be like the best Brian if you haven't had that chance to get on in the fishing boat mm-hmm. or ride the lawnmower mm-hmm. or have that dinner with your family. Mm-hmm. Like you have all the same needs Absolutely. aside from the... Um, skills that you bring to someone in the life or death situations. But once those subside, what people really want is the relatable yeah, Brian. The like, compassion. Like the compassion. Yeah. yeah. The, there's a book called Compassionomics. If you haven't read it, it's, Ooh, I have to it's read that. very eye-opening. Okay. Um, it describes the power of that notion that patients will actually adhere to their medical regimen if they think you care about them. Hmm they'll actually physically get better if they feel like their care team actually cares about them. And that isn't necessarily, that is something that can be taught. You can actually prompt people to say a few compassionate things in their visit Mm -hmm. that have been clinically shown to make a difference in their outcomes. Yeah, like that's powerful. We'll be with you through this whole cancer diagnosis. Right. Simply saying that at the end of every cancer visit yeah. had an impact in their outcome. Yeah. And, and it's like, what? What? <laughs> yeah. I okay. thought it was my chemotherapy. <laughs> right, right. Right. But this notion that people feel connected has a huge impact on health and well being mm-hmm. outcomes. And mm-hmm. that can apply to each other as well. And feeling like your leader cares about mm-hmm. you impacts your 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 um, perception of the job. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And and or does your organization care about you? Yeah. you know, we ask those questions in our surveys and, you know, think about those answers yeah. because it really matters. And if in theory we can the outcomes and the evidence is there for mm-hmm. patients. Yeah. Imagine if we did that for ourselves. Right. Right? Like for one another. So if you were writing well-being, a well-being prescription, mm-hmm. so this is an exercise that we actually do when we have clinicians come to the point and yes, we pull out the old, you know, antique prescription pads and say write a prescription to yourself yeah. for care yeah. and I'll never forget the look on this one physician's face and he was in tears um, happy tears but yeah. tears he said I gave myself unlimited refills and that was like hmm. he gave himself so much permission to do yeah. what he had written down yeah. and he was so proud of just that like concept of like and this just doesn't have to end today right or in a week right it's not TID yeah it's not BID it's like yeah. as much as I want to do this yeah so if you were writing a script for self-care, for wellness, for well-being, what would be the number one thing you would write down for people? Mm. Self-compassion and grace. Mm, yeah, I know, love that. That ability to, to care enough about yourself to take a moment to pause and mm-hmm. say, I'm not okay. Mm-hmm. I think that's that goes without saying. Mm-hmm. People 
are often very hard on themselves in healthcare when somebody's care doesn't go the way they wanted it to, you know, mm -hmm. and, and it's really hard to think, did I do all the right things? Did, was there a step I missed? You know, we run through this process every time we lose somebody. Yeah. Um, and that's natural and that's okay. But if, if you don't give yourself the grace to, to learn and move on from that, mm -hmm. it, they, they stack up and mm -hmm. they just erode it. And, and so I think it's really important in our field where we see things and do things that are, you know, really stressful. Mm -hmm. you know, it, it, it's important to, to, to have that in your toolbox. Mm -hmm. um, and so often it goes, you know, it's not something that's taught in medical school that we're trying to change, you know. Yeah. It's not something taught to residents that we're trying to change. It's, it used to be, you know, if you screwed up, bad things can happen, you know, it, while it might be true, mm -hmm. the way we teach that and the way that we coach through it, it needs to change. And I think it is, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and it is being, it is starting to be mandated by the accrediting agencies. Mm -hmm. You know, they're like, what's your well-being education? What, mm -hmm. what are your components of that? Who's mm -hmm. in charge of that? Um, they're asking those questions I, now. That is a huge and, step forward. And so self-compassion could easily be a part of that curriculum. They're not yeah. really defining what the curriculum is, but I think it is um, it's like the first step in being emotionally intelligent is being aware of yourself. The first step of being compassionate towards somebody else is to be compassionate to yourself. Mm -hmm. Very, very, very wise words. And I know that they come from probably a lot of pain points. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I... Fortunately, you've done this long enough now that I've, I've run the gamut of emotions when you lose people um, that you've known. You know, some patients, if you've taken care of them a long time, they're like family members. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, it's going to hurt when you lose somebody. Uh, but it's kind of what you do for a living. And so you got to find a way to mm -hmm. to reconcile mm -hmm. that and mm -hmm. say, you know, I did the best I could and re realize that they probably did live longer or healthier because mm -hmm. of some aspect that you played in their care. And, yeah. and that's really what, why we do it. It's not necessarily to save everybody's life to live to 150. Right. Right. So that would be quite the unrealistic goal, but it's hard when you know, there's so many success stories yeah. when you have one that didn't go the way you wanted, it's yeah. hard not to, to yeah. play that script differently in your yeah. head. But I love that. I think self-compassion and grace is so important for mankind, for humans. But, you know, when you're always in you're entrenched in life and death, yeah. it's, it's just all that much more important to, yeah. to allow yourself that, that freedom and that grace to go. I did what I could and yeah. let it stop there. Yeah. Sitting next to you for this last hour, I can feel your wisdom kind of fill this room, right? And it's a really, it's, it's with great humility. And I just want you to know that I, I, I notice it and I see it and I feel it and it's really amazing. Um, and I think M Health is very lucky to have you as their chief well-being officer. And I know leaders don't always get recognized in that way because there's always like 50 things waiting for you that mm -hmm. someone wants done differently. But having someone with um, your presence leading this is, is honestly, it gives me hope. It gives me hope. And I'm not saying you have all every problem solved, but it gives me hope that we're on the right track for getting the right people in place to start really making some headway here. Like that hamster wheel that I was talking about that burned me out. Yeah. Like 
I think there might be a foot off it in spots. Yeah. And that's that's right. a huge accomplishment. Yeah. So kudos to you for that. Thank you. So I'm going to ask you one final question. Paint your perfect wellness day. Uh, and I clearly know it's going to include, like, I'm handing you a fishing rod. Right. But, like, like details. Like, what are you going to do from morning to night? Like, this is just Brian's day. Well, you know, the Brian's wellness work day with having gotten a full night of sleep without waking up worrying about things, mm -hmm. right? Um, having enough time in the morning to eat a real breakfast because breakfast is really important. I think America's forgotten that. Yeah. Um, you know, that perfect clinical day of, of taking care of patients and having everything go right and everybody shows up on time and, and I have grace with those that don't and, and I feel like I can make a difference and make connections with people and have the, uh, the kind of mindfulness to connect with every one of them. Yeah. yeah. Having no traffic on the way home. Yeah. Right? No snow. Yeah on the road no during, during yeah. the commute. Um, but, you know, feeling at the end of every day that you'd made a difference and that um, it didn't emotionally exhaust you, that you were aware of sort of how you went through that day and were able to 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 recognize things when they happen in mm -hmm. real time. Because mm -hmm. often we get home and we're exhausted, we don't remember why. Mm -hmm. um, and, if you, and if you can in real time sort of process that and become more self-aware and yeah. self-compassionate. Um, you can let go of those things before you get home. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so important mm -hmm. um, because you need that time at home with your yeah. family, friends, pets, uh, to, to have that other part of your life. Yeah. Because if you don't let it, let it go before you get there and it's still there until you go to bed, then there's no time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So being able to let all that go so I can be present when I come home and um, be able to connect and learn about the people I love in their day. Mm -hmm. That's it's a wellness day mm -hmm. because that those are all the things that I want to do and the things that I need to fill my bucket. It's a fantastic answer. <laughs> and the word that came to mind as I was listening to you and you said it earlier, but that's a really mindful day, right? You're very intentional Yes. in every step that you just described there of how that day was going to unfold mm -hmm. for your purpose cup and for your personal cup mm -hmm. and for your professional cup. Mm -hmm. And being really mindful is a key part of being healthy and well. Yeah. And I can tell that that's probably been a lesson that's been learned a few times mm -hmm. over and over. Might not, you know, none of us maybe do it perfectly, but if mm -hmm. you can start there, right. hopefully you can end there. Right, and yeah. it's it's teachable. People think that, you know, I, I'm too distracted to be able to do that. And, and I, I start with, well, if you have an upset stomach, you think about what you ate that day that maybe upset your right. stomach. And you can usually figure it out, like, I shouldn't have eaten that bag of Cheetos. Yeah. I had a massive headache at noon yesterday, and I was like, where did this headache come from? And then I realized I drove an hour and a half in the snow to get to work, and I was yeah. probably tense the whole mm -hmm. time. Little paying attention to your body or paying attention to your emotions and your mood like mm -hmm. what set me off today and then I realized that first patient interaction didn't go the way I wanted if you can capture that and mm -hmm. process it, mm -hmm. it you can heal from it yeah. and you can move on and you can know that you know it's like okay yeah. do you have a little bit of grace okay I can't control the traffic and the snow but right. we'll move on from this headache you know I know what yeah. why it's there so um I think that that mindfulness can be taught and, and people can learn it and and it's been one of my 
one of my go-tos mm-hmm. to help keep you know this mm-hmm. job and then mm-hmm. my, my career going for this long yeah. it helps you kind of control your controllables yeah. right like and at the end of the day even in your position you know at, we can kind of only control ourselves yeah. i mean we we can manipulate circumstances we can change yeah. some things but at the end of the day like really right. we have control of well, here and by no means am i perfect you know yeah. uh, uh, every day doesn't go the way brian described it and yeah. some days i do come home and i'm not my best and um but you know you have to you have to that's where that self-compassion mm-hmm. comes in like okay it was not the best husband the other night mm-hmm. we'll do better tonight yeah right yeah um and or i haven't taken time off for myself mm-hmm. let's find some time to do that i'm not mm-hmm. going to do that today it's not helpful i'm going to do something else yeah so yeah i think you gotta find time to do that you're paying attention yeah right you're in tune yeah yeah you're not you kind of decided at some point as we all do at different points in time yeah i'm going to take off the blinders and yeah. like see feel hear think about what's really going on with me mm-hmm. yeah which is a big step to take ironically a really big step to take in healthcare because we tend to want to give 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 mm-hmm. oftentimes taking little sometimes no time to like go hey what do i need to give myself so you're leading by example you gotta get that internal yeah. dialogue out you know i'm not yeah. being lazy you know mm-hmm. we hear that all the time like i feel guilty if i take a lunch break right now right. because everybody's working so hard yeah and i'm like well is that what you would you're telling her to take a lunch break so she's going to protect you so you can right you know, this, yeah. this is how it works it's yeah don't you gotta let that internal dialogue go a little bit uh, and uh, take care of yourself because you're no good to anybody if you no. didn't eat lunch right i did that a lot of days and then what i found is i started to go through the starbucks drive through before i'd go to work and then what i realized is it really wasn't even about me getting a coffee i liked how happy everybody was there yeah everybody that worked yeah. there was so happy yeah and then i realized i actually had one day i wanted to ask for an application <laughs> i'm like right. i just want to work here everyone's so happy right. i don't know what this is but it's caffeine whatever it is i like it i want to be here right and i'm like okay krista that's called burnout right like that's the when, problem right so it's not serving me to not take time to eat or use the restroom even or whatever it is but right. um but yeah i mean life will always be busy yeah hospitals will always be really busy and at some point you have to like you said put those boundaries around yourself put your ego in check like you do have a tank you have to fill yep. i know the last three years have held a lot yeah. um and i see that and i recognize it and i thank you for still standing here today and being willing or sitting here today with mm-hmm. me and sharing um the ups and the downs and the lessons learned in between it all it's greatly appreciated so thank you your time your wisdom it's it's made an impact and appreciated well thank you i appreciate it yeah thank you brian mm-hmm. I want to say a special thank you to everyone at Self-Esteem Brands, the parent company of Anytime Fitness, Waxing the City, Bar Method, Stronger You Nutrition, and Base Camp Fitness. We are grateful for the recording space and support you have provided to our podcast platform and team. You are a true example of what it means to rebel and be well. You can learn more about Self-Esteem Brands via the link shared in the show notes below. We appreciate and savor every sip of Dry Farm Wines during our podcast conversations and every event at The Point Retreats. As a health and wellness platform, we are grateful to have a pure and unique wine that is free of sugar and additives, grown on small family farms, 
and brings a bright and soulful and vibrant glass of wine to share with the community we love. Cheers to our Dry Farm wine friends and family. You can learn more and order your own bottles of Dry Farm wine by clicking the link provided in the show notes below. That simple and serene moment when we glide across the lake at the Point Retreats on our Paddle North paddleboard is one of the most cherished moments. It's a gift when we and our guests blend into nature and lose track of time and space as we soar across the pristine whitefish chain of lakes. Thank you, Paddle North, for being our preferred Minnesota-based brand and company. We honor every memorable paddle that brings great clarity and balance. Click on the link provided in the show notes below to see all the incredible lake gear available with Paddle North. The Point Retreats and Rentals is situated roughly 30 minutes outside Brainerd, Minnesota. The property's private peninsula boasts over 1,500 feet of stunning shoreline spanning three lakes on the whitefish chain of lakes. The Point property is owned by two purpose-driven leaders who share a strong desire to lead others to optimal health and well-being. Our team believes in proactive, modern-day health shifting our mindsets to valuing quality of life in the same capacity as we value quantity of life. We aim for every experience at the point to enhance and deepen your whole being health by providing many opportunities for well care during your stay. Whether you need time to renew, reset, or reconnect, we have a space that can host your family, group, or team. Click on the show notes below to find out more about the point retreats and the point rentals.